Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a good friend. Uh, Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means that we have been on the transformational journey together, laughing, sometimes crying, growing, and experiencing Christ's transforming presence in community with other leaders. This season, we're working through, talking through, and praying through one of our transforming resources, The Deeper Journey by M. Robert Mulholland Jr. We're recording these during the Lenten season, and all of our current podcast patrons have received the digital version of our updated resource, Lent, A Season of Returning. Right now, when you become a patron at any level, you will immediately receive this popular resource written by Ruth Haley Barton. Support from our patrons is the engine that keeps this podcast going. So we invite you to visit transformingcenter.org slash patron today and become a patron. Your support at any level is so encouraging. Ruth, chapter two is called Into the Jungle, the False Self. So let's start by identifying what Mulholland means when he talks about the false self. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways that people talk about the false self. So let's just, we'll just talk about it a little bit, you know, for a few minutes. First of all, he talks about the self as being separate from God, the self that experiences itself as separate from God, uh, that that is the false self. Um, He also talks about the fact that the false self is a facade, um, that it is that persona that we create that's actually very different than the person that God has created us to be. Um, It's the self that roots its identity in things other than God. So the self that roots itself in success and in relationships and in a particular culture, identifies itself with a particular tribe uh, rather than rooting itself in God. Um, The way I talk about the false self and um, I think this is just continuing to unfold this whole huge idea, is that it is the self that figured out how to um, keep itself feeling safe and secure and happy and in control and with a sense of agency. The self that very, very early on learned how to gain those primal human needs and secure those primal human needs um, on its own basis, you know, its own way of securing those versus abandoning ourselves and surrendering ourselves to God to give us those things. And as we've talked about it, the false self actually serves us well early on because in many cases it keeps us alive on some level. If you live in a dangerous environment, the child learns right away how to keep itself safe in some ways, Um, even if it's just emotional safety. Uh, But then later on, on the deeper journey, which is what we're talking about right now, God's invitation to us is to let go of those human-made ways of keeping Mm -hmm. ourselves um, feeling loved and approved of and feeling successful, feeling like we have power under control, and instead beginning to lay down our own ways and surrendering ourselves to God, trusting God to give us what we most need. And this is the very, very heart of the spiritual journey. It's this movement from trusting ourselves and our unconscious patterns to moving to trusting God for meeting our deep human primal needs. And these needs are legitimate, by the way. 
Yep. Yep. It's just that in our early life, we trust ourselves. The spiritual journey is to learn to trust God. And it is the hardest, most challenging part of the journey. Yeah, I think I would add to that, Ruth, the false self doesn't always look like the obvious, you know, success grabbing, um, <laughs> you know, person that's running over everyone to get what they want. It can look really, really religious. I mean, really, really righteous. It can look to the, to the outside eye as exactly what a life in God might look like, but it it is empty of the life of God. It's, it's illusory in, in, in the sense that it's never going to get you toward union with God. It'll just, it'll just, you'll just keep leapfrogging over people and over your own soul um, right. at the expense of your, of your truest self. Yes. Um, Mulholland is now bringing in this language of the self-referenced being. Um, yeah. And that's we, the false self is profoundly, and forever self-referenced um, and really given to the temptation to take over God's role in our life. That that He says that is the eth- essence of the false self, um, is the, the part of us that tries to be God in our lives and tries to take care of us and try, tries to take care of ourselves on our own terms versus trusting ourselves to God. Um, and he says that when we play God in our lives, our union with God is lost. Um, we don't lose our salvation, but that experience of living in union, uh, we become autonomous self-referenced beings who have abandoned the center of our true identity in God. And I think that's what gets to your point about the religious false self is that a lot of what we do religiously actually is still the very same thing. It's still very self-referenced. It's still us securing what we think we need in the way we know how to secure it. Um, even if that means using ministry and vocation and religion in service of that, um, it's still self-referenced and that it's still us doing that for ourselves, doing it in the way we know how to do it versus increasingly learning how to surrender ourselves to God. And so, you know, the, the idea of the false self for many of us listening may be new. Um, it's the, um, it's the old. It's the old nature. It's the, the 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 old and the new creation. If you want to use more biblical language for it, um, the false self language, true self language, came in through Thomas Merton, but it's definitely using fresh language for the biblical idea of the old creation and the new creation, or the old man and the new man. So I just I want to ground what we're saying here strongly in Scripture and in especially Paul's wrestlings with the old nature and how he. Um, really is very open in letting us see his struggle with the false self and his journey towards the true self. And of course, I think the best biblical definition of the true self is your life hidden with Christ in God. Yourself as you've been created by God, as you are being redeemed by God for God's purposes, uh, your life is hidden with Christ in God, Paul says in Colossians 3. And that's why the journey into God is the journey into the true self because God is the one who's holding the true self. God is the one who created us as true as true selves, and God is holding that for us until we're ready um, to really embrace it and to live as our true nature. So these are deep theological thoughts with also incredibly practical ramifications. Uh, Ruth, one of the things I love that Mulholland actually talks about his journey of starting to discover 
his own false self. How does he write about that and what does he say? Well, I just think it's one of his most interesting statements where he says that he thought that repentance for his sins meant just being sorry for things that he had done. <laughs> and we're all we're all sorry for things we've done. But then he's he had a wise teacher who said that repentance is not being sorry for the things you have done, but being sorry you are the kind of person that does such things. Yeah. <laughs> I love Whoa. that, you know. Whoa. It's so important. And so he said that it was that statement that sort of got him on this journey of discovering his false self. And he realized that even as a Christian, underneath this thin veneer of religiosity lived a much more pervasive and deeply entrenched, and there's this word, self-referenced being, which was still being driven by its own agendas, its own desires, and its own purposes. So there's his definition of what it means to be self-referenced. I think it's really, really important because that shows you that it doesn't matter what line of work we're in, we can still be self-referenced, driven by yes. our own agendas and purposes. Um, and then that no amount of superficial tinkering with the religious facade made any appreciable difference. So I was just so struck by the phrase superficial tinkering. Because I feel like a lot of what happens in churches and Christian circles these days is merely superficial tinkering. It just doesn't get down to what's really going on. And so, Steve, I wonder how you feel about that <laughs> as a pastor. <laughs> I've just sort of called it out here. But how do you feel about the idea of superficial tinkering? How do we see ourselves doing this? And do you think that a lot of what yeah. happens in churches is sort of like that? I I do. I, I I laugh at the I laughed when I first read it the word superficial tinkering. So one way of superficially tinkering is just to get all caught up about the latest things that churches should be about. Um and you can read lots of books about that and you can read on social media, you know, you have to talk about this and respond to, to that immediately. And so that's one way to superficially tinker, but another way uh, just to talk about Lent for a second is to think that we're practicing Lent simply by giving up something, that that is the practice of Lent, is that if we've if I've made it to the end of the day and I have not indulged in my thing, then now I'm now I'm on the journey. And I think that's uh, it, it's a start, but it's it's tinkering like we're I'm yeah. not going to get down into <laughs> the uh the the kind of serious work uh that would allow me to answer the question that was posed to Mulholland why are you the kind of person that keeps doing that mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's an ouch so i need a group of people even if it's two or three where we agree we're on this journey we're on the deeper journey and we're going to do more than superficially tinker our way to spiritual transformation because that ain't going to cut it. And I'm guilty. Yeah. And so <clears throat> one way to practice Lent, though, that can get at some of those things is to give up something that you know you are kind of addicted to and to let the giving it up continue to take you to what's underneath. So, yeah. I mean, I think if we could all give up social media for Lent, that would be fantastic. And that would not be superficial if you're willing to pay attention to what's driving it underneath there. Oh my goodness. I, I am on social media because I really like getting all the likes and now I'm not getting yep. all the dopamine hips of the likes. And yep. how do I deal with myself then? You know, um, what, what am I looking for out there? 
by being so connected all the time? And can I name it as the addiction that it is? I mean, then you're starting to get somewhere. But if you just give it up and don't pay attention to what is exposed when you give it up, then you're missing it. And then then it is superficial tinkering versus allowing God to take us down into the depths of our being during these times. I remember, Ruth, this moment where my oldest son was trying to stop sucking his thumb, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's the kind of kid where if he chooses something, he's, he's, he's pretty good at, you know, giving it up. And, but he, and so he's a couple of weeks into it and, I, and he was about four and I was talking to him and he was dealing with this thing that he was upset about and, the, and he was upset about it and he was starting to cry and then he, he unconsciously went to put mm-hmm. his thumb in his mouth and then he realized, oh my goodness, I don't even have that. So he had to put the thumb down, you know, and that's the moment, you know, where it's like, I don't have my soothing. uh, I think this is the moment where we have to find ourselves in if we're going to really deal with the false self, not only as we're dealing with the normal uh, hardnesses of life, and then we go toward the thing that's supposed to soothe us, but we've given that up too. And so we go, ah, God, help me. Yes. And then we're back to being reliant on God versus being reliant on our own method of self-soothing or making ourselves feel better, which that's the emptiness, right? You, you do face an abyss at that point and and what you do with that in that moment then becomes uh, formative and transformative or not, depending on what we choose. Steve, um, Mulholland says on page 24 of The Deeper Journey, it's the new version, uh, the revised one, um, unless you are aware of these two selves, the true self and the false self, these two ways of being in the world, you will have great difficulty allowing God to lead you into a deeper life of wholeness in Christ. That's a really serious statement because I think a lot of people want to think they're on the deeper journey right? They, they want to think that they are on the journey to wholeness in Christ, but they have not yet acknowledged these two aspects of themselves. They're not really um, facing into that. And again, back to the issue of superficial tinkering, in a lot of churches, we're not asking that of people either. You know, we're not really talking about the two selves and the two ways of being in the world and, and having our life together in community be places where this gets confronted and and exposed and clarified. So what can we do about this? I mean, if this issue of being able to acknowledge the true and the false self is so central to being on the journey towards wholeness in Christ, and we're not really doing it very well in our Christian gatherings, what can we as leaders do about this? One of my friends sent me this email yesterday, and it was he was looking at this video that our church had made and all these different people in it. And a lot of the people that are in the video are no longer at our church. And he just said, Oh, I miss those people. Well, where my mind immediately went is I'm a terrible leader <laughs> that yeah. I can't, what, what's wrong with me that I can't um, like keep people at our church. Now uh, I can go down that hole for a long time and I can, my false self, if I'm not aware of these two selves, my false self will start working super hard 
at being the kind of pastor who never, who people never leave their church. Uh, but I think the invitation, if, if, if we're going to be a, a community of people that is aware of these two selves, and if we're going to be leaders that lead people toward being aware of the two selves, I need to be aware of that in that small moment that mm-hmm. I have a choice there that, um, now is it good sometimes to look at why people are leaving your church? 100% yes. I'm not saying it's not. But what I'm saying is there's a difference between whipping myself up into a frenzy and make sure that no one ever leaves the church again versus just pausing and saying, now, hold on, what's going on in me that I'm feeling so defective right now? Because that's my false self at work. Yeah. And I, I agree that as leaders, we always have to be paying attention to that interplay, you know, the those moments when the false self rears its ugly head. But thanks be to God, we know how to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God and surrender ourselves to God in a renewed way. Um, I also wonder though, and and I can speak as someone who goes into churches to bring what I do. Um, I've done it a lot over the years. And one of the things that I see though, is when pastors start to lead in this more serious way towards the deeper journey, that the people who come just for the cool band or the people who come for the Sunday school class that they've been meeting with for 35 years, um, that they, they're afraid to lead people on the deeper journey because they're afraid that some of the stalwarts will leave. And, and, and I've actually seen it over and over again, that when leaders who've come through a transforming community, then go back and try to lead their people into the deeper journey, people are like, now, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to feel good on Sunday mornings. I signed up to hear some songs well-performed. I, I signed up to hear you say some inspiring things. And I really don't want you messing with me at this level. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying, Steve, do you think that happens? It does. One of the things that happens from time to time is someone will come up to you and they'll say, you know, I like the old Steve better. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the old Ruth better. What is that? like? And that means that the, the, the self that didn't used to ask these questions uh, and right. yes, I think that's 100% true. And it's probably good. We don't put it on the outro. You're like, Hey, join the transforming, <laughs> transforming community so that, your, <laughs> so that your congregations will dwindle. <laughs> but it is yeah. true because, and that goes back to my point of we're not necessarily agreeing on what journey that yes, we're going exactly. on. So when and a leader so, gets clear, that they're going to start leading out of their, their own journey, their own deeper journey, and they're going to start inviting others into that deeper journey. It's, there is just an inevitability here that there are going to be some people who say, that's not the journey. That's not why I came here. And I don't want to go that way. And you, and it might not even be stated. No, you know, it it probably won't be. They'll just melt away quietly. They'll never tell you that in words, but that is what's happening is that that's not what they signed up for. Also, you will find, and I found this to be true, people will peel out and leave. Other people will rise up. Like now you're speaking my language and they, and you got to pay attention to those folks. Um, I, that is equally as true. And so like, Ooh, you know, don't. And sometimes we spend because our false selves are injured by the fact that people are leaving. We yes. spend all of our energy toward getting them That's back right. or not doing that instead of putting it where we should be putting it. People are saying, "Yes, I'm, I'm down right. for that journey. I want right. to go." You got to focus on those folks and let I the agree. chips fall. Yeah, yeah, because the Bible doesn't talk about the narrow way for nothing. Right. I mean, this is the narrow way, and few choose it, is what the scriptures say. Right. So. 
we shouldn't be surprised when this deeper and more challenging journey causes somebody, some people to feel like this is just not for me right now. But then there are others who have just been waiting, have just been waiting to be invited um, into a deeper journey. So, well, we um, camped on that for a while, but I, I, I think it is really important for us to talk about leadership in the midst of these realities, because what is the context for this? The context is Christian community that, you know, uh, the context for all that we're talking about here um, is communities of people who are choosing to journey together. And Bob's really clear about that in all of his writings that um, we can't say we're on the deeper spiritual journey if we don't have some people that we're journeying with. It might not be a formal church at a given moment, but a few people who have said, yes, this is the journey that I'm on as well, and I want to go together. I agree with that. And it doesn't have to be the church, but I don't think you can do it alone. I I agree with that totally. Yeah. Or it's the church. It's a different kind of expression of of the church. It still is the church. I think whenever people are journeying together in Christ, that we are the church. So, you know, now Mulholland really starts to get into it about the false self. And I just can't wait to talk to you about some of these manifestations of the false self, because he just gets so clear about some of these characteristics. Were you, were you struck by any of them, these um, characteristics or attributes? He calls them basic attributes of the false self. Yeah. I mean, I'll read them to you. I was like, when are you like, aren't there enough? (laughs) Haven't you written enough, Bob? That's right. Just let me off some hook here. Please. They're (laughs) fearful protective, possessive, manipulative, destructive, self-promoting, indulgent, and distinction-making. And he goes on for a couple pages on each one of those. And I think this is why this is the deeper journey is that we just, you know, we're not going to let ourselves off the hook. So let's, let's go there fearful. Mm -hmm. Why does, why do you think he starts there? Because I think he starts there for a reason, fearful. Mm Well, I think because that's where Genesis starts, pardon the pun with your church's Ooh, name. Um, in good. Genesis 3, you know, Adam and Eve um, hide from God because of their fear. And so I think that that is a universal experience of our humanity, especially in the presence of a holy God, is that there's just so many things that we're afraid of. Um, and you know, he does a, an amazing job of, of really tapping into the kinds of fears that we have. Um, and he talks about performance as a core to our identity. He talks about that as being a facet of the fearful self, that we're, fe- you know, we are fearful that we are nothing unless we're out there doing stuff. This I am what I do uh, perspective of our false self. And it struck me that <clears throat> so many of us as Christian leaders are stuck in that particular aspect of the false self because many of us are doing what we do for altruistic reasons, but also because it gives us a sense of self. And we're probably afraid of emptiness if we weren't doing all the time. In fact, I think that this is a special temptation of leaders to become overly identified with what we do. Uh, What do you think? Oh, my goodness, of course. And I would say, especially uh, when we go through something like we have been doing with the pandemic, and it's less clear on what you what can identify you as doing your job or not, you know, you're not right. visiting people, you're not visiting people in the hospital. And so you, you, you start to feel, I, I've talked to many pastors who just, they're having a crisis of calling right now because yeah. they are not identified by doing a certain thing. Right. And then comparing what one, what your church is doing with what the church down the street is doing and maybe what they're doing is better suited, you know, yeah, yeah. to being, recorded and 
Yeah, just you know, <laughs> um, you know. So what if yes. what if your gifts really do have to do with convening a small group of people and being very intimate together? But the church down the street is more well suited to putting real cool stuff um, into their services every Sunday, and so people start. Oh my goodness! I mean, I, you could go on and on. on that and attraction on. thing on happens. So I, I agree with you, and I thank you for naming it. That these are times of real uncertainty for leaders. Um, even about value and worth, if it's been attached too much to the sense of what we do. Um, so the, the fearful self, I think, is characterized by identifying ourselves in certain ways. And he, he lists a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that our culture right now is also so bound up in fear and that there's a lot of leadership that has been offered by inciting people's fears about safety and what's going to happen to our country and oh, yeah. all of that sort of thing. We're living in a culture where fear is being used all the time as a tool by leaders to get people all whipped up into a frenzy. Uh, so the fearful self, the protective self, he, he, t- he goes on and on. Let's, let's camp for a moment on the self-promoting self and the ways in which we see that. How do you see that in the world right now, Ruth? <laughs> Well, what really struck me, and maybe it's because I watched The Social Dilemma this weekend. You did. <laughs> I did. I did. And, and I'm, you know, so I'm still really processing that. But the self-promoting um, self, which is part of the false self, one attribute of the false self, um, that the false self always promotes us and our agendas above all others. Even our most noble actions are undertaken with one eye on those who observe the actions and the other eye on the benefits the action will bring. And I just thought, well, that's what social media helps us do, yep. is to make sure that everybody's always watching everything we do, even if we're eating out at a restaurant. You know, yep. like social media is meant for self-promotion. And I am I am really nervous about what that means for us as Christian leaders, because we know that in order to even be a thing out there in the world, you have to be on social media. You have to be quote, building your platform. And yet Mulholland is saying that that is an attribute of the false self. And I'm afraid that social media just comes alongside that aspect of the false self and we can baptize it and we can say, Oh, I'm really ministering through this or that or whatever. But the truth is there's often a part of it that is to get my name and my image and my books and my everything out there for other people. And it's what is expected in the culture today. You can't really be an author these days without having a platform where you're doing a lot of self-promoting. What what does that say? I just would add something. There's also, as a leader who's on social media, there's an expectation that you will weigh in on events as they happen and you'll weigh in right right away and you'll have a response Mm -hmm. that's thoughtful and you will condemn that which needs to be condemned and you'll support that which needs to be supported. And what, but what if you're on Sabbath that day or week and you're off and then, and I think that's also a real trap that we fall into that we think we're supposed to, uh, chime in on everything as if our opinion matters so much. Yeah. That was one of the most, that was the hardest thing about my sabbatical this summer was that, um, the murder of George Floyd happened three days after I unplugged three, count them three, um, May 22nd, May 25th. And so that was the, the hardest thing I, and we dealt with on my sabbatical actually convened board members to say, wow. 
can we afford to be silent right now? Should we be silent right now? Should I be silent right now? And then when there was the, the, the one protest sign about silence is violence, that just, Mm -hmm. just, just pierced my heart. And I actually asked one of our board members, Phaedra Blocker, um, to really work with me on that, to say, if the Transforming Center doesn't put something out there right now, if Ruth Haley Barton doesn't put something out there right now, will we be perceived in the silence is violence category? It was, it was so hard, Steve. Um, I believe it. It was was so hard that our board couldn't get unity on what to do. Um, Our whole organization was supposed to be in dormancy. And so there was no one else who was supposed to be writing either. Um, Mm. And so, you know, I don't have to, give you the answer that we came to, but I'll tell you what, it was, it was the hardest aspect of the sabbatical that, uh, that happened. And that, that pressure that you just named, we're all supposed to say something right yep. now, even while it's still unfolding, even yep. before we even knew, even before we had seen all the video and even before we knew what had actually happened, we were all supposed to say something. It's, it's a trap. I think it is a trap. Thanks for naming it that way. And it's not, and and again, it's so complex. Like, of course, of course we want to say something about things like that, that happen. I think what you're saying and I'm saying is it takes more than five seconds to put that together. And (laughs) it should, it it should. Things like that that are so human and deep and rooted in our history and that have Oh my goodness. It should be thoughtful. It shouldn't come out in a half an hour. It shouldn't. And that is the danger of the social media. I'll I'll say it is rooted in, in fear and self-promotion and not the true self. And so it's not going to lead us typically, it's not going to lead us toward our truest and best selves uh, participation in it. And I don't know. Uh, th- this mm-hmm. is a real, it'd be interesting to see what Bob would have said uh, about social media where he's still around today. Yeah, Not, not trying to, I know it. we need his voice. Well, and, and we're trying to, what we're trying to do here is echo his voice, right? So I think at the very least, he would say, beware of the ways in which it plays right into the false self and the narrative of possessiveness, protection, and manipulation. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Even a false sense of indispensability. Um, of course. You know, that the, like you said, like the world can't survive if I don't weigh in with what I have to say about it. You know, <laughs> yeah. like somehow they're going to be impoverished if they don't hear from me on this topic. <laughs> and doesn't that sound ridiculous, right? Oh, it, it is ridiculous. And, and here is where, you know, Phaedra was so helpful to me as some, someone within the black community. She said, you know what, Ruth, everybody's writing and pontificating. Um, I can't even take any more. And she said, mm-hmm. everybody who walks with us in community knows that you and we um, address these issues routinely in community. Yeah. Um, and th- those who know you know that. And maybe if you wait, um, you know, your words will even be more able to be received because it'll be after the big wave, you know. Um, and that was even a, the beauty of being in community at the time. I didn't make that decision by myself. The decision mm-hmm. that we made was not one I made by myself. I would never have thought I had enough wisdom to make that decision by myself. So um, the community helps us and holds us too um, because you know we can encourage one another to trust God with our lives and with our ministries and with our vocations at moments when you know we've been invited to be in God in a different way. 
so anyway, I, um, I, I think that these, you're, you're talking about a deep kind of discernment here. Mm-hmm. What it, you know, when you, when you're faced with decisions like this, what's at work here, my false self or my true self or some combination of both, which is why this journey is so demanding, you know? Yes. Um, is this my false self who wants to write and who feels like my voice is indispensable, blah, 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 blah. Or is, you know, is it a true sense of calling? Right. Um, is, is there another invitation here? And that's to trust God with this rather than thinking that I have to be active and reactive right this minute. Wow. Those are the deep spiritual issues. And, and the, the right answer could be either one. See, that's yes. the other thing is that you're choosing between good and good. Um, and it takes discernment to discern within myself what is motivating me right now. Is it false or is it true? Oh, I, lo- looking at that list, fearful, protective, possessive, manipulative, destructive, self-promoting, indulgent, and distinction-making. Is there any other words you want to pick out there and talk about, Ruth? Well, let's save indulgent for the next episode because he hits that again Got um, it. in third chapter. But distinction-making, the way he articulates it in his book, was very interesting to me given the time that we're in. Um because he talks about it as um, that distinction making is seen in the terrible gulfs that often divide denominations and groups within denominations. It's often, it's often found in the theological wars that rage between those of various theological persuasion destructively manifested in way, in the ways in which false selves categorize themselves and demonize those at the opposite end of the chosen spectrum of categorization. And then he lists them, liberal, conservative, evangelical, ecumenical, Calvinist, Arminian, homophile, homophobe, feminist, chauvinist. Woo! And he's saying that it's a manifestation of the false self to divide ourselves along those lines. And that we actually, that's how we distinguish ourselves um, and sort of over-identify with our positions in that way. Wow. And he's even saying that that cuts us off from union. Of, and you could see it though. Of course it does. Of course it does. He's no longer with us, right? Yeah, that jerk. <laughs> I just, I just I dropped him. the ball off. I do too. I mean, wow. So I just don't want us to glaze over that because I think we do need to think about the ways that we make such a big deal over our distinctions. And is that the religious false self making those distinctions where I'm now so different than you and we're going to allow there to be a gulf between us. Uh, and that's not the loving union either that we're being invited to and called to with, with God and with each other. Mm, I think this is one of the hardest ones because it feels so right at times yeah, to make a distinction. Right. I got to make a stand here. This is what's right, right. And there's got to be a right and wrong. And sometimes there is let's, let's be honest, but yeah. 
maybe when I find myself being overly defensive about the thing that I feel like I'm right at, that's a sign mm -hmm. that's probably not the true self. I don't think is all that defensive. The true self mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can just sit just with ambiguity and mystery and just be. The other thing that I think can be noted too, is that when we label each other like that versus just being with each other as a human, like if I label you as conservative or liberal, yeah. well, then I've already put you in a box and I can't even have a conversation with you now. Right. There's, there's not going to be a mutually influencing conversation within our relationships in the body of Christ. And that is, it's tragic. It's a tragic loss when we label each other rather than um, find ourselves able to be together and talk with one another in mutually influencing ways. You know, in Acts 15, there's a the statement, the, these, the, these Judaizers came in and were teaching that the brothers that you have to be circumcised in order to believe. And then a couple of verses later, it said, so the brothers met to discuss that. And I even love that, you know, it's like, yeah. like, okay, hold on. So now there's a distinction being made between who's a real believer and who isn't. And instead of like, you know, Peter doesn't fire off, well, you're wrong. The brothers met to discover and discuss that matter. And they, of course, that leads to one of the great, uh, you know, inclusive statements of the whole New Testament. Uh, around Gentiles. Yeah. And it said that, and the Bible says that there was much dissension. I, that's my mm -hmm. favorite fr phrase. Mm -hmm. There was much dissension. And I mm -hmm. thought oh, I can relate to that. I can, you know, I can, I can relate to that. I can enter into that. So, you know, it's no wonder that he calls this chapter into the jungle <laughs> because I do feel like we are in the jungle now where all the wild animals are. Don't you think? If only we had the rights to the Guns N' Roses song, we would be playing right. it right oh, now. Sing it for us, Steve. It Go is ahead. the jungle. It's, 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 it is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh. We've talked about taking our false self to community. I think that's a really important thing. Is that enough? Is there anything else? What do we do with the false self? Is there any other practice that you can think of that would help us to arrest the false self and so that it can't just keep running. Yeah. There's another facet of the examen that I think might be helpful here. And that is, um, the examen is a practice of reviewing your days and going back over your days and inviting God to show you things. So inviting God to show you where he was present with you and maybe you didn't recognize it. Uh, maybe there was an invitation of God. How did you respond? Um, inviting God to show you places where you were like Christ and where there is evidence of God's transforming work, where you transcended yourself in love and were able to be more than you typically are able to be, or times when you were not as competitive or jealous or selfish or whatever as you usually are, and you can actually celebrate that. But then the final thing we can ask God to reveal to us in an examen where we review the day is to say, God, where were the places you could put it this way, where I fell short of Christ's likeness, but another way to put it might be to say, God, show me the places where I was in bondage to my false self patterns. And then rather than feeling like we have to fix ourselves, um, especially in the teachings around the Enneagram, which is one way that people uh, identify their false selves, there's this idea that noticing is, is the first and most important step. Because number one, if you can notice it, that means that in moments, if you can begin to notice it in moments and not just after the fact, you can actually make a different choice. And so to actually say to God, 
you know, the next time that happens, help me to recognize it. And I admit right now that I want to make a different choice. I'm going to make a different choice next time I'm presented with that kind of, of a situation. God, help me to recognize your invitation to love, your invitation to freedom from bondage, and help me to do it differently next time. That's the whole transformational journey right there. And it happens in these bit-by-bit -bit ways. It's one little choice after another. But first of all, we have to notice, right? Yep. We have to be able to say, in that moment, I just didn't do it. I chose my false self-pattern. I did not choose surrender and abandonment to God. And God, next time I'm committed, help me to notice it and help me to make a different choice. And that's how the deeper journey continues. I like that participation with the Spirit. What is the Spirit? Giving the Spirit permission to point something out, receiving that, and then partnering with the Spirit to make a different choice. I like that. I like that distinction. Thank you, Ruth. Whew. This, this is the deep weeds. This is good. This is so good. So I, again, I hope that you're someplace where you could light a candle, at least for this prayer time, and open your hands in God's presence. Give God your whole attention. Give God your whole availability in these moments, because we know we've stirred up a lot. And in this silence, in this quiet to let God show you the places in which your false self might be in, in, in play, active right now in some area of your life. And let, be, let that be the grace of God to you, the fact that God is even allowing you to see these things. Experience it as God's grace and mercy to not let you continue to live unaware of how your false self is active in your life. hear this prayer into that place. Gracious, loving God, you of infinite patience and love and mercy and grace, awaken me in the depths of my being to those pervasive and corrosive dynamics of my false self, those places where I am in bondage and especially those dynamics that mask themselves behind a facade of religiosity, some semblance of spirituality. Help me, gracious God, to let you meet me at the heart of this false self in ways that will enable me to abandon myself to you and to let you, in love, draw the roots of my being into the very center of your being. Through your Holy Spirit, nurture me into wholeness in your own image, made known to me in Christ, who, with you and the Holy Spirit, are worthy of the full devotion of my life. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this podcast has strengthened the soul of your leadership in some way. Creating space to hear from God is the most strategic thing you can do in your leadership, whether you're leading the church or in some other setting. 
If you find yourself wondering if you're sacrificing the health of your heart and soul for the sake of ministry, consider joining the next Transforming Community, a practice-based spiritual formation experience for leaders offered in nine quarterly retreats. Learn more and apply by visiting transformingcenter.org slash TC.